Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. Welcome back to another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe, where the good pens are always available. Um, I want to give a shout out to all of our our Patreons. Thank you so much for uh, for your continued support. We've got a couple of new ones over the last couple of months. Um, Jesse Strong and and uh, the newest one, Nicole Dickerson. Thank you very much for coming on board um, as part of our business meeting, if you will, uh, staff meeting from last month in Arizona. We do have some new Patreon levels um, and some new content and some new things that come with each level. Um, and one thing I do want to call out um, is we are now asking our Patreons um, prior to recording an episode if they want to you know, ask, a, get, ask our guest a, a question or what have you. So um, definitely check that out. Thank you so much for your continued support. We, we greatly appreciate it. If you're new to the Vet Tech Cafe, um, definitely head over to vettechcafe.com for all the info about Dave and I, why we do this podcast, um, our previous guests. We're on all of the social media channels, um, probably most active on Facebook and Instagram, though our episodes do link uh, to LinkedIn as well. So you can like us, subscribe to us. There's a YouTube channel. We record our Taproom episodes live, so definitely follow us there too. Um if you have any questions, definitely email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com. If you have an idea for an episode, if there's somebody you think we should interview or a topic we should cover, um, definitely reach out to us there. Dave, how's it going out there? What's on your mind? Uh, things are good here. Uh, I just got back from my um, vacation slash conference yeah. in New Orleans. Um, and guys, I don't know if you realize this, but like I got off, I got out of the airport and... We left North Carolina, and it was like in the 40s and the 50s. And I, I swear, when I stepped out of the airport in New Orleans, it felt like it was midsummer in North Carolina. It was humidity was 90 percent. It was about 85 degrees, and wow, what a smack <laughs> in the face! <laughs> um, but it, it was great. It, um, I actually got to see yeah. Tabitha Cusera just randomly walk through the hotel bar, and I was like. That person with pink hair looks very familiar. And she looked at me and she's like, you look familiar. And I was like, you, Tabitha. And we, you know, we spent hour, hour and a half just nice. chatting, catching up and, and, and talking about, talking about what she's doing. And, um, uh, so That's it was, awesome. it was a great trip. Um, it was, it was exhausting because <laughs> a lot of walking, a lot of, not as much drinking as you, you and I did in Phoenix. Cause Robert and I are kind of on the same level with that, but man, it was, it was good to get away and, and have some time off. How are you guys doing out there? Perfect weather, I'm assuming. Uh, we're good. 
Yeah. Yeah. The weather's really nice now, mid seventies. Um, and, uh, we're in the final stages of escrow. We actually close on our house on Friday, which is, uh, which nice. is crazy. Um, which actually kind of ties into what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. This is a timely, timely episode, episode for, you. for that. So, <laughs> Um, the, the sellers are renting it back from us for, for 30 days. So we don't move in till after Memorial day. So still have another six, seven weeks or so here, but, um, which is why I'm coming to you from the kitchen in our apartment. Um, but yeah, so (laughs) things are, things are moving along. Things are going good. So, um, what do you say? Should we uh, just go ahead and jump right on in? Yeah. Yeah. Let, yeah. Let's so, um, caffeinators, we've, we've had a couple of episodes in the past with, um, with, non-veterinary technician, non-veterinary people or, or veterinary adjacent people. And, and we try to obviously focus on veterinary technicians, but occasionally we like to have episodes that are per- still pertain to our lives as veterinary technicians or our field as veterinary technicians, but they're, they're in different fields. And today is one of those episodes. And so uh, we're really excited to talk about this. So we have Tom Seco coming by the Vet Tech Cafe. Um, Tom graduated from the University of South Florida with a degree in finance. Um, the financial knowledge that he's built up expands from income protection, debt repayment, business planning, several other topics, which I think is really going to tie in really nicely with a lot of stuff we're going to talk about today. Um, during the past few years, education has been a large focal point for Tom as he strives to educate himself around psychology, business, leadership, self-development, and communication. His focus in the veterinary field started in 2014 and became an appro- became approved to provide CE in the state of Florida in 2017. In an effort to reach more people, he became an approved race provider through the AAVSB in early 2018. And right now, Tom and his team are involved with several associations in the state of Florida, Vet Partners, and the Veterinary Business Management Association, the VBMA, that provides students in the veterinary field with resources and access to professionals to help them with solid advice to jumpstart their career. So, Tom, thank you so much for taking some time out to come chat with us today. What can we get you for a cup of coffee or caffeinated beverage of choice? I'm, I'm glad to be here. And you know, the first drink that I love for choice, I mean, I've, I've taken a halt on them a little bit, but I like a, a latte with some coconut milk, coconut milk Ooh. in place of the regular milk. All right. <laughs> nice. Nice. There I like go. trying I to like cut it. back on the dairy a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't mind, um, kind of take us through a, a little bit of your career path, kind of what got you to where you are today. And I'm curious how veterinary medicine became a, a focus for you, um, you know, in the, in the world of finance. I always love answering this question and I have a, I feel like a three hour long version and then I have my <laughs> condensed, you know, a few minute long version of it. I'm going to have a lot of editing to do, I guess. <laughs> so <laughs> much editing, right? VetMed, what's interesting about it, I sort of stumbled across the industry. And when I went through college, I got a finance degree. I usually originally started with computer science and I saw my friend doing 10 hours of engineering calculus every night. I said, yes, I'm not doing computer science anymore. (laughs) And I was like, what's an alternative that I can approach? So finance was something I loved. I love the economy. I love money. I love currency, all these different things that are out there with regards to the financial industry was fascinating to me. And I went through college. I got my finance degree. I also got a minor in economics And initially, I I was approaching the direction of becoming a personal banker with a larger bank. And then I also stumbled across another company that did financial planning, and it was focused on the teacher market. And I did that for a good almost three years. And the reason why I did 
the teacher mark is because I I was 21 years old. I knew absolutely no one. I was scared beyond belief. I was like, I'm starting a new career. I have no idea who I am, what I am, who I know. I started working in the teacher market because I was trying to learn. I want to know about finance. After a while, I got tired of being a sales guy. That's basically what the financial industry does to a lot of people. They have certain sales quotas. They have things that they have to reach. And I just felt like almost like a cog in a machine to a certain degree. I tried to do more than that over time. And eventually what I I just figured out where I was was not the right place for me, just philosophically, philosophically and also just the long-term vision that I had in my career just didn't seem to align properly. So then I transitioned, had a short little stunt at another end, another company. That was a lot of smoke in the mirrors. Was, uh, it was good, though, because it helped be able to ping pong to the next place that I'm at now. And when I when I started where I'm at, the, the main firm is called West Shore Financial Group. I had no one. I knew no one. And I was sitting down in a training class one day where there was a, a list of markets. They called it hot markets. I don't know where they came with the term with that, but it, we do a lot of long-term disability insurance. And long-term disability insurance, there's a very good product through Berkshire that basically is one of the best ones you can get out there as a veterinarian. And I saw them on the list. There was doctors and accountants and engineers and other different people. And I just couldn't really relate with engineers. I couldn't relate with accountants. And I saw veterinarians on there because, and I was like, well, out of all of these professions, is there anyone that I can connect with? And I, I love animals so much that I have a, I had a veterinarian that I know paint my dog and I have a painting of him on my wall. <laughs> okay. So I started off in 2014 and as we started working in VetMed, I knew zero people and we met the first president of the association in our local area in Florida. And then ever since then, at around 2018, 2019 is when really a lot of traction started coming behind us. We found there were just like a lot, a lack of education for the vet community. There's too many salespeople, too many people focused on investing, just selling insurances. And we're like, well, let's really become educators. And over time, we became race providers. We're national speakers. We're actually getting ready to publish a book. We have a podcast ourselves that we've created. Uh, we've grown to a team of five people that support us. We have three other advisors in my, in addition with my business partner and we work in over 40 States now. So we started mm-hmm. off from like absolutely nothing to now being where we are. And it's just now just beginning. And uh, I've gotten a little bit more of a specialty towards the exit planning side of things. So we do a lot more with also with business owners, uh, but I'm also trying to tweak my education a little bit towards the estate planning side of things. I've actually got this huge book called the uh, tools and oh techniques of wow. estate planning. Oh, wow. that I'm actually starting to try to learn a little bit through because I want to be able to be some a, light reading, <laughs> light reading, right? So <laughs> I'm just trying to always get better at my own craft and everything and helping people. And we're looking to build a team that can ultimately support the vet community as a whole. So as we work with certain clients, we have other people on our team that can support clientele, like working with vet techs or other people mm-hmm. within the, uh, the veterinary practice. Awesome. Um, you mentioned in there, you'll have a book coming out. Um, any idea when that might be, or uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. Yeah, so the book is com- supposed to be getting released. I would imagine around beginning of June is oh, okay. Oh, okay. really, soon. really soon. Okay. Yeah. And we're right now it's getting, let's just say ghostwritten at the moment. And in the process of all of it, we're going to start creating a cover and it's going to get released on Amazon. We'll be available through Prince, Kindle, uh, what is it? PDF. So it's going to be on all of that. So we'll, we'll have a big announcement about it when it actually comes live. Great. 
Oh, that's great. Yeah. And just thinking about the vet profession, you know, you've you've been in in the I don't want to say in the vet field, but dealing with veterinarians in the, in the veterinary field for the last five-ish years. Um, what's your impression of the vet profession right now? Like, what is it? What does it need? Um, not just financially, but overall, what you can see. The vet community as a whole, I I, I will just say, just not to, I'm not wanting to correct you here, but just to throw it out there, it's been about sure. ten years now that we've been. In oh, America, okay, okay. So I heard 2018 and, and lumped onto that. You're good. <laughs> Uh, we've we've been working within vet med for about ten years now, and one thing that I've noticed that the industry has shifted a lot when it comes to just the overall the awareness that's out there. And but previously, there weren't a lot of buying groups that were involved. There were a lot of practice owners, single owner, owner practice owners, just kind of doing their things, burning the candles at both ends. And we are going through a transition period right now. The boomer generation seems like they've been working 30 plus years and they wanted to retire yesterday. And there's this Mm -hmm. huge wave and transition of people just leaving. And from what I've heard from some economics, uh, economists and some different people that are out there that are really plugged in vet med, that at the moment, because of the amount of demand for animal care and also with all the groups buying them and trying to expand, there's about a short of about 3,500 vets and about 3,500 vet technicians right now. And that number for, I know for veterinarians, is supposed to increase to about 15,000 by 2030. And then before then, I don't know what vet, tech, vet technicians are. It's probably be more than that because there's more of them in a practice than veterinarians. So now it's, yeah, I will say that it's even more of a crucial time for a lot of these practices that are out there. I'm very sad at times when corporations buy them because practice owners will sell. And then the idea is that they're, they're going to maintain the same culture. It's going to be the same place still. But then people realize after two years, they're like, no, this is not the same place anymore. And it, I would say two years is generous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. Two years is yeah. pretty generous, right? Yeah. Mon- months sometimes. Yeah. 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 So it's like people are quitting, they're leaving. And it's it's interesting to see that there's a shift now from what like corporations are buying practices, but then there's veterinarians going off on their own and starting them up and startup loans are becoming huge. So there's opportunity out there. I think the biggest, the scariest part of it all is just like a lot of people tend to just get into vet med and they don't really take a look at like, what is my vision? What is my, my beliefs behind why I'm opening my practice? And a lot of them just do it because they're just like, I want to practice my own medicine. They usually don't talk about making money, which is kind of sad to a certain degree because I'm like, that's what your practice is supposed to do for you, provide you freedom and create more income for you. Right. Uh, So it's like, if that's going to be a big factor, but I think there's a lot more awareness around it these days that people are saying, okay, yeah, we need to really focus on what our vision is. Like, what is our values of our business? And I met this practice owner in Atlanta, Georgia recently. He's opened up two over the last six years. And now he has 10 vets working in his practice. He doesn't even work anymore. And he's like Mm -hmm. killing it. And it's like, when you, when he talks about it, he talks about how do I implement the five senses into my business? How do I, what is my vision? What is my mission for my practice? What are my beliefs? that I have within here. And it's incredible to see the impact when people actually take that time to do it. Yeah. It's, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I I think a lot of the times, you know, just thinking from the vet tech side is that a lot of us get into the field because we want to help animals. We want to work with animals um, and almost ignore the financial part of it, realizing that vet techs typically don't make a lot of money. And I mean, again, that's one of the main reasons that they leave. And I I think if there was a way that we could like 
get them to understand that, yes, this is a, a great field to be in because you are going to be able to help animals. You are going to be able to work with veterinarians and, and do great things, but also not just push aside the financial part to say that you're, you're working at, at, a, at, a, at a hospital for as a sacrifice almost to your financial freedom. So how do we, how do we make that? How do we change that? I think about that all the time. And what's interesting about the challenges we're having in veterinary medicine, it, it really mirrors human medicine to a certain degree. And what I mean by that is because like my wife, she's a nurse and it's incredible. Of course, the schooling that's required to a certain degree, like becoming a human doctor is years and years and years and years that's required to get the degrees to practice medicine, especially if you're a specialist, like it's even longer and internships and the same thing in vet med. I mean, there's internships and um, residencies and depending on the path you go down. And I've noticed that like with nurses, they tend to be the ones that handle everything, giving medications and cleaning people up and doing all this stuff. Like some of the things I hear from my wife, I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> but then you look at the, the income discrepancy that's there between what a nurse makes and what a the human doctor makes. And I see the same thing in, in veterinary medicine. And I believe the problem though, that within vet med, it really hasn't been a, it just, it seems like there's been this, Hey, we need people. We're going to pay them X amount of dollars. People are looking for a job. They just pull people off of the road and it really hasn't changed the, uh, the standards, let's just put it that way. I don't know if that's the best word for this or not. I believe as more people become CVTs and more people are going for the education behind it and there's more of the encouragement that goes behind the, hey, I need to uh, expand my education. There should be a path that a lot of people are going down to become technicians. One, I think that will put more credence on like, okay, compensation needs to become more for people who are credentialed right off the bat, which I believe is already happening. But then also at the same time, like people do need to, I think the biggest conversation today is there's a, a living wage people need to have. I need to be able to survive and not just survive. I also want to be able to have a little extra meat on the bone to do some sure. things. Uh, but at the same time, practice owners need to be taking the more consideration of like, hey, if this person is in my business, and this is the way I view my business as well. If they're in my business, they shouldn't be costing me money. They're making me money. And if you look at every person that's inside the business, okay, they're doing X and I'm paying them Y, but then I'm getting Z as a result here. You know, what, what should I be providing them in return? So like, what is an, an appropriate amount that I should be compensating them? And I know for like technicians right off the bat, I mean, I could see the direct correlation at times of saying, you know, correlation is such a big word, but direct connection, let's just put it that way the direct connection between like the work that they're doing and the results that the practice has, because I will say that they are a very integral part of what generates the revenues in a business. So I believe, I believe technicians should be compensated more. What number of that is, I mean, that's a big question mark within itself. I think there really hasn't been guidelines of saying, Hey, you know, if a technician is this many years in with this kind of credentials to this many years, maybe you two would know better on this, but I haven't seen a whole lot of that myself. The, the data that's come out is there was recently a, a study that, you know, had a, what would you say, Jeff, a, a, a small sample size compared to the number yeah. of veterinary technicians there are yeah. out in the country. So it was, I mean, it's something, it's better than better than nothing. But I, I think one of the biggest things that we saw that like you said, number of years of experience that they have, uh, the credentials that they have, and also the area of the country that they live in is makes it vastly different. So it's very difficult to come up with a, 
here is the average salary of a veterinary technician in the United States right now, because I mean, it, it's all over the place. Yeah. Right. Is there a board or anyone that handles this type of thing where they're saying like, Hey, let's really focus on having a living wage for veterinary uh, vet techs. Well, NAFTA is the one that, that did that demographic survey. Um, but the argument is that there's like 110, 120,000 veterinary technicians in the United States and they're, membership is about 6000 so it's it's not or, or 6 to 8000 i think is what the yeah, numbers so, are yeah. so it's it's very less than 10% of of the actual technicians in the country so it's very hard to get something like that mm. broad scale to to get an actual accurate number which is one of the big problems yeah yeah and and i think for a long time to veterinary like like you you mentioned your wife being a nurse that has long been well established as a career path right. like you go to school for it you can get your rn you can get your bsn now you know the msn has become very popular and and you almost probably need those advanced credentials really to get in the field or or maintain or or to move up and we really don't have that kind of career ladder yet and so i think for a lot of people not just veterinarians, but business owners, certainly the corporate entities. I think a lot of people still don't see veterinary technology as being a viable career. Um, and, and so, and then the data kind of supports that with our high turnover rate and, and our limited longevity in the field. But I I think one of the things that we hope for is that that vision is, is sort of changing that, um, I mean, Dave, I don't, I don't know if you do. I don't know that I, I, I mean, maybe we know two or three people who have been career veterinary technicians yeah. and actually gone through yeah. to retirement. And, and so some of the stuff we'll talk about a little bit later on, maybe with, with retirement and some of that stuff and, and how those kinds of things fit in. I, I, I think we're still finding our way in a lot of that stuff, but that's, I think to some degree, we kind of need to fo- shift the focus and start making that the goal, otherwise we're never going to get there. We're, we're, you know, if we don't figure out how to plan for that stuff long-term, we're, we're just, we're just never going to get there. Well, another thing, and, and this is one of the huge differences between human medicine and veterinary medicine is that you can't hire a person who last week was working as a cashier at a grocery store to come in and monitor anesthesia in a human field. But in vet med, that, that happens, which, <laughs> That that's one of the big things is you can hire somebody yeah. off the street yeah. to do these things right. that in the human field would be absurd to even consider. Yeah, yeah. And what boggles my mind about it that this is even a thing in the first place, which I guess every industry to a certain degree has started somewhere, and then as more awareness and more people get involved, and there's more just push behind trying to do something about it. I'm sure with human nurses. Same type of thing. Like it started probably very similar in its nature. And then as time, like people really pushed and pushed and pushed. And I honestly think with the big shift that we're having in the industry at the moment, there will be more of a spotlight put on it. I honestly think that there should be a some type of an education path that people can go down. And the problem is with a lot of these practices where it just appears like corporations, I think, can support this a little bit better because they might have a little bit more funding or money behind them to do these things to offer the education components of it all. But for individual practice owners, it seems like a lot of them, they just kind of, they bring them in, they have them support them to do their thing. Most of the time, the practice owner really isn't doing a great job managing the overall culture of the business and creating, like I said, that vision earlier. 
So then if people are coming and going because one, they might not feel appreciated, they're being overworked, they're not getting compensated in ways to actually really approach what they're doing in level. So like, you know, I, I believe a lot, there's this word called meritocracy. I got it from this guy called Ray Dalio. And basically meritocracy, it doesn't matter um, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from, what your background is or whatever the case is. If you have the skill sets and you can do the job and you're able to show and prove yourself, you're going to get promoted and elevated more to different spots. It's like, it's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm not trying to pick favorites. And I think where it's, if more people would put more idea or more thought behind that, then I, and, and they really took it seriously besides saying, Hey, you got an annual review once a year and we're going to give you a, you know, a 10% pay bump, which is like 20 cents. And per hour, it's like if they really put more emphasis behind that. And there's one person, I know her name is Andrea Crabtree. Oh, yeah. Um, we took something her. from her not too long ago where she uh, she said you should do 90-day reviews with people. We talked about this two years ago, and we've been doing it every 90 days with every one of our staff now. Wow. And I think everyone in all their practices should be doing that. So Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, we, uh, we, we've been on their podcast. We've talked to them quite a bit there. Yeah. Uh, Andrea and, and, and David, and David yeah. too, are there. They're, yeah. They're, they're pretty awesome. Um, I'm curious, do you have very many, um, you know, veterinary technician clients, I guess, shall we say, or, you know, is it something that say, if you're working with a practice owner, your services are available to their staff to look at them more individually. I'm kind of curious, you know, what that kind of scenario looks like or, or, you know, do you work with veterinary technicians very much? We're open to a lot of different things in our business. Florida veterinary advisors doesn't really have a standard when it comes to saying, Hey, you have to make X amount of dollars or have to have a certain amount of investments. There's really two pieces of criteria that we look for. Uh, The first one is, do you have an open mind? Do you really have an open mind? And two, do you have a willingness to take action? And what it appears were we going to ask, answer your question, we have a few technicians we work with. We don't have many. And I believe, this is just to believe it's my opinion, that a lot of them have fallen to, I, I wouldn't use to say the word, the word I want to use is probably not appropriate in here. I, more like people will say the circumstances that they're in, they're living paycheck to paycheck and they can't do anything else beyond that. However, I find that a lot of people are just, they're scared. They don't want to approach it. They don't know how to approach it. And they don't know what the cost of the amount of money or time it's going to be for them to do things. And I find that time after time after time, I find technicians that I joke around this with people sometimes. They walk in with Starbucks every day into the vet practice, but they don't have any money to save. And it's like, well, how much is your Starbucks habit? It's like $5 a day times five days, 25 times four is $100 a month you're spending on Starbucks. Like that's a pretty significant chunk of change. So most of the time we're like, we're open to work with people one-on-one by all means. If they want to talk to us, we're here. Uh, But beyond that, what we do when we work with vet practices, we offer financial wellness as a part of the whole curriculum. So we'll do things either one-on-one presentations with all the staff. We're actually in the process of creating a portal where there'll be education around 401k stuff because we set up 401ks around financial wellness and education. So they'll be able to talk through more of a, we have a platform that we, people can get access to confidentially when we're working with their practice. So they can go in, there's four different steps that they follow. They plug in their own information and it walks through of like, Hey, based off of where you're at from a protection standpoint, how much money you're saving, the debts that you take on, what your scorecard is. And it grades them on a 
green, yellow, and a red system. And then they can elect if they want to talk to us or they can continue to keep trying to do things on their own. Entirely up to them. So I, I, I don't mind working with people. I think at the end of the day, it's just like there are people that want to just come and kick tires. Right. And it's like I, I have to be real about it. Like we have a business here right. too. Like we have sure. to also make revenue. <laughs> right, of um, course. So like if you aren't serious and want to work, but if you openly want help and you want to make changes in your life, we're here. Like we're not we're not going anywhere. I would say that, I, and I did a little research. I listened to, to a couple of episodes on your podcast and one that really stuck out to me and, and something that I feel like a lot of us suffer from is what, what you guys called the ostrich syndrome. Um, and I loved your banter back and forth of like ostriches don't actually stick their heads in the sand. That's not really something that they do. Um, <laughs> but I have that. Like I, if it's out of my, why do you think I wait until? April 14th to do my taxes because I, I don't want to look at it because it frightens me. It terrifies me. Um, can you talk a little bit about mm -hmm. ostrich syndrome and how, how can we overcome it? <laughs> yeah. So I, but before I really jump too much in that, I, I really would like to share this too, that there's this curve that they created a while that goes through the Harvest Business Review called the happiness curve. And it changes every so often based off of inflation and the cost of things that are out there. And the study recently was shown that if you make about $85,000 household income, your level to be able to satisfy your basic needs, save money and do things that you need to do in your life is pretty, you're going to be okay. Beyond that, as you stay making more money, you have more discretionary spending to do more things, go out more, travel more. And then there's a certain level of income that you make where it's excess. You have so much money coming in to where it's like you spend money and don't really think much about it because it's like we have it and we can spend it. We all can, we all do it. And the, you've sure you've heard of the saying more money, more mm -hmm, problems. hundred mm -hmm. percent true. I have people that make millions of dollars a year and they can't save anything. Like they're just lifestyle addiction to the max. But then there are people that are making, let's say 30 or $40,000 and they are like, have way better uh, accessibility of money. They've been able to accumulate more assets over the course of time because they've really tried to create a balance and think about what like, the, the more money you make, the easier it is to spend. The less money you earn, well, you have to be even more critical about what you do because you only have X and you got Y in expenses and then you got Z left over, hopefully. So like there's this whole yin and yang that's always having to happen here. So I, I, I remember seeing this one statistic. There was a male person. Uh, I heard about it, like had passed away. It was a potential client of ours a long, long time ago. The guy was making, I don't know, 50 or $60,000 a year. He made less than that before that. But he retired at the age of 65. I think he had, if I'm not mistaken, it was like $5 million saved up. And it's like, of course, like he might have lived like a very maybe frugal life, but you don't have to necessarily be like that. But he took it seriously. And it's amazing what he was able to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really the ostrich syndrome here is, you know, it was funny. I don't know where even that came from <laughs> in the first place, you know, but it's they all stick their head in the sand. And it's actually not a, a real thing. It's right. they, they don't do that. <laughs> um However, it's like the whole thing is just like life is happening around us and we're making choices every day. We're making choices to either do something or not do something. It's as simple as that. So your choice to avoid it, well, you're basically relying on whatever happens in your life to be your financial plan. So whatever is going to happen, is that what you want to happen? And the worst, the thing that I always look back at my, my life personally I, I, I do so much reflection and meditation and I try to, I've slowed down a little bit, but I'm trying to do more of it now that I'm like, okay, I'm now 85 years old and I look back on my life and I'm like, am I where I want to be? 
what do I need to be doing today in my life to get to where I want to be in the future? And it's like the longer that we sit here and just let life happen. And I mean, there's a lot of people that do this. They wake up every day, they go through the motions, they make money, they pay bills, they see they have so much in their bank account. And then that's, you know, that's how they live their lives constantly. And then they're always feeling like they can't, they're always behind. They're not saving money. They're not doing anything. <clears throat> Simplest place you can always start is getting a spending plan or a budget. Like if, if you don't have one, it's, it seems so simple in nature, but it's not common in practice. Like not a lot of people actually do it. And I'm not talking about going online to mint.com or one of those websites you use to track because it's kind of a set it and forget it type of mentality. I'm talking about like physically getting and jumping in feet first into the muck, making, making it messy. You got to see what's happening. So then you can understand what habits and behaviors to tweak and adjust over time. So at the end of the day, it's if you really want a lot out of your life and tired of just kind of being in the like, hey, I'm just living in the now, but then like, I don't know what my future is ever going to be. And there's kind of the uncertainty and fear about that. Then that's the time you got to pull your head back out and be like, okay, let's let's take a look at, I will say our financial industry, they, they're, I would say they're probably one of the biggest culprits. They make it very confusing with all their jargon. So when you go out there and you Google something, it's like, I don't know the answer to this. <laughs> um, I was, I've been talking with people about Roth IRAs and Roth 401ks. I don't know if you two know the significant difference between those, but what's interesting, people are like, well, I make too much. I can't put money in a Roth IRA, but I'm like, I'm talking about a Roth 401k. And it's amazing to me how many people aren't even aware of those little things that are out there. When you start Googling it, there's like a mixed bag of information that's out there. So like that's one thing in our world, like coming even full circle here, we we are doing what we do because we want to make these things easy for people to understand and create more awareness to the things that they should be doing versus getting so like lost in the noise mm-hmm. of life that's happening out there. Yeah. And, and I'm guessing that's kind of coming back to your initial point when you started out there, you know, when, when you start working with people, having an open mind it is actually like being willing to peel back the layers of the onion and look at what exactly comes in, what exactly is going out and where, and what, if anything is left over and what, what we can actually do about that. Otherwise, if, if, if you just, you know, learn those things and then it's just knowledge and you're done with it. Well, that's one thing, but if you're actually willing to kind of make changes and move forward with it, I'm I'm guessing that's kind of what you meant by having an open mind. Absolutely. And something that I always like to inject in here, yes, I have a finance degree. Yes. I'm considered a financial advisor based off of licensing. I'm also called a business financial guide, whatever the case, whatever you want to call me. I will say at the end of the day, I'm more of a psychologist. I'm more of a counselor. I'm a wedding. <laughs> uh, I'm a, a, a couple therapist <laughs> because realistically, we're not talking about numbers and dollars and everything else. We're talking about the way that we view things and the behaviors and the habits that we create along the way. So if we're not focusing on the things that we're doing and the, the habits that we're creating, and we're always trying to focus on like, think about it with the stock market, just for instance, I love talking about this because their projections and the things that people are told is that there's some financial entertainers out there that will say, hey, you know, if you keep putting your money into a good, solid mutual fund every year and buy term insurance, your money is going to grow to X because it's going to earn 12% every year. He doesn't actually say it, but when you actually take the math and you boil it back down, it shows about a 12% return every year. The thing is people's financial lives don't get a 12% every year. The market last year was down 30 to 40% for a lot of people. 
And if you weren't putting more money into the market, well, that actually hurt you in the long term because you didn't get the growth on the downside of it. And then things happen and life happens to you. So, you know, all of these things, it's good to know from a knowledge standpoint. But sometimes it's like when we actually get serious about what we're trying to do, it's really making the decisions, being willing to pivot and adjust as needed, and then being able to take, I will say, when I really got serious just about my own life, like it took a while for myself because I was super uncomfortable talking about things and being in certain spots. But I will say it was very um, uplifting and relieving when eventually I let it go because I used to always, I used to always be afraid talking about finances with people and I'm the finance guy. Okay. So now it's just like at the end of the day, like I go out and I talk about a bunch of random things that I don't even care anymore because it's like, I am who I am and things are the way they are. And everyone makes money. Everyone has the same concerns. Everyone goes through the same things. So why don't we talk about it more? People just figured it to be taboo. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was just, as you were talking about that, I, I was thinking to myself, like when we, we're going to take a break here in a moment. And when we come back from break, I, I really want to talk more about why finances scare people. Why, like, we, like you just said, we all make money. Why is it so weird to talk about what we make? Or, or yeah, let's talk more about that because that's definitely something that, yeah. that rings let's, with me. Let's for take sure. our little break here, and we'll be back after the break, guys. <laughs> the Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. Caffeinators at the Vet Tech Cafe, you know, we like to focus on mental health. If you're struggling with depression burnout, compassion fatigue, or any of the other mental health challenges we discuss on our podcast, getting professional help is a great first step. We all need help with things like learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries, which empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major mental health challenges. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Dave, I've used BetterHelp. Um, I had really good success with it. I really like that it was entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. They really make it easy for you to get the help you need. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash vettechcafe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash VetTechCafe. It's time to invest in yourself. Be well, caffeinators. Welcome back, everyone, to the VetTech Cafe, the, the cafe that has its own 401k plan. Uh, Jeff, you and I have to get signed up for those. Um, <laughs> we're going to have to get Tom to set that up, set up for us. Um, so, Tom, we, we always <laughs> ask out of the break. Uh, our, our, our ad in the break was for BetterHelp.com. Um, how do you manage your own mental health? You mentioned some meditation there. Um, how do you manage your own mental health? It's a combination of a lot of things. I know for a while I would let stress eat me up. And I would constantly be going through a lot of things just mentally. And I one is I actually stumbled across stoicism was a big thing that helped me a lot. And stoicism, people think of like being a stoic yeah. is where you don't show any emotion and everything else. But I'm talking about the philosophy stoicism created back in 300 BC by uh, Zeon of Scythium. He basically got stranded over in Greece. And uh, that's when he, there's basically the pillars of it. It's, the understanding is realize the things you can control and 
focus less on the things you can't control and then direct your actions appropriately. And basically all the time, like I would spend a lot of time really reflecting and just being able to like, there's a lot of things in my life I would stress over that I have zero control over. And that was one thing that like, I did that for quite some time. Um, I try to do as much meditation. It's really just breathing exercises. I do it for a couple of minutes every day or so, a few times a day. Um, I like to do, they usually call it box breathing, but I do it more of like a four seconds in, hold five, out seven. Mm-hmm. It just has become my method that I like. Uh, I, I journal. I've actually been seeing a psychologist myself. So I go out there and actually someone that I help that just talk to and have conversation with. Uh, because otherwise, if I'm not having a chance to just get my mind clear and be myself, it tends to, I will say it really hurts me from being Tom. Like it really hurts because like the more that we hold in baggage in our thoughts and we don't let ourselves be who we are, um, I've just noticed it impacts me as a husband. It impacts me as a father. It impacts me as a business owner, as a business partner, um, even for clients that we're working with, it impacts them. So um, I, I'm not perfect. I know since my daughter was born about two years ago, it's been, uh, it's an up and down roller coaster since then. Uh, but I'm trying to get back more on the bandwagon again. And also I do work out too, nice. like at least three or four days a week. It's mm-hmm. another way that I really stress. I was just to say, I, I, I hear you on that. I don't know if you've heard her wandering around, but my 11 month old daughter is, is, uh, is yes. uh, out and about here. She's just woken up from a nap and is getting teeth and has lots <laughs> to say about it. So yeah, she's, <laughs> you'll, you'll probably hear her chime in from, from time to time too. Um, I, I wanted to circle back. We kind of touched on it going to break there. You know, you, you talked about, you know, just talking about finances, talking about money. And, you know, I know um, from like working in this field for a long time, the idea of not discussing wages um, and, you know, I feel like too, there's a lot of maybe gatekeeping or what have you around the financial soundness of practices. And, and there's like, I don't know, there's there, obviously people have that kind of in their own personal lives, but I think there's also a lot of that too in the profession. And like, it's just, it's, it's something we need to talk about. When it comes to money period, I believe it stems from when we're younger and even the psychologist that I talked to where a lot of the beliefs and the things that we've instilled in ourselves have been created between the age of zero and five. And depending on how we're raised and the conversations we were having throughout time, not to say that the people who brought us up, our parents or whoever cared for you as you grew up, have a big impact on the way that you go about viewing society and the world and the conversations that you're having. And I will tell you, like being around my father growing up, he was a, he was an entrepreneur. He used to always do a hosh posh of different things. And I would know about our, my parents' expenses and what money's coming in and what money's going out. And like, I got to learn about it. My wife on the other side, her parents never talked about any of that stuff with her. So money was such a like sensitive subject. And whenever you, she would try to talk about it, her parents would completely deflect it and they would ignore it. So we've all created this, you know, behavior of ours to where we tend to, unless we approach uncomfortableness, we will continue to keep settling back into what we're comfortable with. And then our lives will continue to progress the way they do. And being vet med or not vet med, we all, we, what's so fascinating. And I would met whoever's listening to this at the moment that you go out there and you start talking to people about money challenges. And even if you were to bring up something that you're struggling with yourself right now, and I'm pretty certain the person you're going to end up talking to has maybe similar or maybe different, but they're having 
same type of challenges even in their own life. And I find it incredible that a lot of times people are very scared about talking about these things where it's really, it's, I think it's a matter of embarrassment. I think it's a matter of like, don't want to look like you have your stuff together is a big part of it all. Cause like I will say when people meet with us, they're basically financially undressing yeah. the yeah. way I like to put it. We do a financial MRI right? <laughs> and you're having to get incredibly vulnerable with us. Like that's, and it's hard at times because it's like, you can feel like you've lost the sense of control. Uh, you can feel like you're getting judged. And I will say there are a lot of people out there that will judge. Our society is a very, um, I think social media and our world as being an interglobal economy has made it to a part where it's like, you know, people can post something and it's out there with an instantaneous. And, you know, some like it's fascinating. Like when I look at like celebrities, they do things outside of the norm. And all of a sudden there's a snippet of something they did and it's all over the internet. And now they look like a complete JA like real bad because it's just like, what did they do? Right. But it was only that split moment that they caught it. So we're always, we're always concerned about having our, you know, hypothetical pants down and not wanting to be like, you know, embarrassed or judged. And sometimes it's really the conversation should start around people that you do have some kind of confidence in and then start having the discussions and then start getting more comfortable about it. And I also will say, depending on your sense of self of what you have about your feeling with money and your interaction with money, I think people usually put it as a dollar standpoint. I look at it as more of a tool. So the more money I make frees up more of my time, gives me the ability to pass things off from me onto so other people. It allows for me to take care of other people and do different things. It allows for me to have stuff too, ultimately. But the more that we can understand like what money is really doing there for us and like what our financial lives are about, Compared to it would be like, well, they make X and I make X and I only have 5,000 in my checking. They have 20,000 in our checking. Instead of comparing ourselves with everyone else, if we can really pull ourselves back and being like, what do I want? Why is this important to me? That's where I think a lot of times people get caught in the weeds and the, the whirlwind of life. And then they tend to just ignore and just, it's my, again, this is all my opinion. I'm sure there's some psychology that can back this up for me, but <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's difficult to to have those conversations, and you know, I've I've been in very early in my career. I was in a situation where, you know, the amount of money that you didn't have was was almost like branding you as someone who doesn't have their life together and understanding what what that means. And even now, now that I'm doing better, like I I still am in that same situation where I don't want to disclose what I make or or how much money I have for that very same reason, even though I'm in a much better spot than I was 20 years ago when I first started out. It's, it's just, it's mind boggling how the psychosis of the taboo of talking about finances sticks with us for a long, long, long period of time. I'm curious. Oh, good. Sorry, Dave. No, <laughs> I was going to go on nope. to the next question. Um, so Tom, with your services, um, can a hospital, that employs technicians and veterinarians, can they use your services as like a employee benefit almost? Mm -hmm. We do offer, we offer a yeah. hodgepodge of different things. Like I was mentioning earlier, we do uh, different group benefits. We set up 401ks. We help set up uh, what they call defined benefit plans. We can do uh, non-qualified deferred comp arrangements. They're called usually referred to as like retention stay bonuses. Uh, the legal term is 409A if anyone's curious about it, but they're not very common out there because a lot of people just don't understand them or know about them. Uh, but we also do have our financial wellness. So when we are working with practice owners, typically what happens is that we offer that as part of, they pay us a, a monthly fee 
to work with us. We do business and personal planning for them as the owner. And then we also inject the financial wellness as a component if they want to offer it to their staff. Uh, it's an opportunity for them to inject that. And then we're also available for their entire team if they want us to work and plan. Is that something that is, like you said, monthly? Is that like an ongoing thing? Because I'm, I'm thinking back to when I first got my first 401k. Like we all sat in a room and went over stuff that me as a 23, 24-year-old had no idea what they were talking about. And they said, okay, what type of portfolio do you want to have? And I'm like, ah, ah, I have no idea. And they had that meeting. You got signed up for it. And they were gone, just disappeared. Like you've got a 401k and good luck, basically. And is is your services going to be providing something where you have the option of having that like consistent um, advice and consistent uh, reevaluating of things? So I think this is important to put out here that even though if I manage a 401k, there's what they call ERISA and certain regulations when it comes to the type of advice I can give on investment stuff, even with holding a 401k, okay. it's really, really wonky. Uh, I probably need a whole nother conversation with it. Uh, we will sit down with people and provide them some guidance and some support if they want to engage us. Like, again, we are a business, so we have to have some kind of, if people course, yeah. want our time, we do need to get compensated in some form or fashion. So if people did want to sit down and talk about their scorecard. They want to talk a little bit more about their finances. We'll talk about what it would be to take that next step with us, to work with us one-on-one, -on -one, or if they want to continue to take some of the tools and techniques and things that we have they can be by all means be able to start working and implementing it on their own. They can start listening to our podcast. They can go through all of our courses online. We have master classes that are getting released as well soon. There's even an education center we're going to be building out soon through our website in the second half of this year. So we, we provide resources for people. Ultimately, at the end of the day, like again, there are times that we'll have tire kickers and people that come to us. And it's just it, it's hard, like my calendar in all, by all means, and this is not to flaunt or it's kind of a problem mm -hmm. within itself. I'm booked three, four weeks out sometimes. And it's so hard to squeeze people in there where I'm like, Hey, how do we, how do we meet? So it's like, if you seriously want planning and you want our help, like I'm dedicated to you, I'm here. But if you don't want my help and you're just over here trying to squeeze yeah. all the free advice <laughs> you can get from me, go listen to our podcast, go to the free resources, go to yeah. watch our videos. We have all this stuff. out Right, there right, for you. right. No, I, I think that that's super helpful to to have that like follow up. If 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 people want the, the follow up, I, I think that's super helpful. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, I'm curious. So like, let's say one of our listeners here, you know, doesn't work at a hospital that works with you guys, but they've, they've kind of said, I've had it. I've got I've got these bills like I, I got to get this figured out. I got to get it on track. Like and, and they they come to you and say, hey, look, this is where I'm at. I want to get serious about it. What kind of information, you know, would you need from them or what is, what is, what, what's the first step? What, what does some of that process look like? The simplest way I can put this first meeting, no cost. We spend some time to learn about where people are, where they're trying to go. We do a thumbnail snapshot of their personal finances. So just kind of like off the cuff of what do you know about how you're protected from auto insurance, disability, life insurance, legal documents, how much money you have saved, how much of retirement accounts, liquid investments, debts, how much you make, what you save. Like we'll go through all that as an exercise. A lot of people, some people, times people are super in tune with it. There's a lot of <laughs> times me. people are like, I don't know, I got to look it all up. <laughs> from, that converse, from that conversation, we use it. And then we have a process we go through. People decide to work with us. We charge them a planning fee. There's an onboarding meeting we do. They get their own personal financial assistant. 
And that person will then help them get everything in their financial lives organized. We use a platform called the Living Balance Sheet. And then from there, we go through a series of conversations where we talk about how are you protecting yourself? The other one is about how you're managing your cash flow. So paying off debts, saving money, building up money for your plan. And then the third main one we discuss is around asset building, investing money. So sometimes we'll have you know five to six meetings over the course of a few months. Sometimes we'll have more than that, depending on how much people really want to know. Uh, sometimes people come to us and they're just like, can you just tell me what to do? And I'm like, well, I got to give you some kind of education. Yeah. Uh, right. Because I can't have you walking away from here being like, why did we do this? And then challenging me later if we've never talked right, about this. Right. So it doesn't put me in a good spot or you. <laughs> right. So, right. Um, you know, obviously, you know, not going into specifics, but I, I'm just wondering, you know, if you could share, you know, a story or an anecdote of maybe somebody that's, you know, like we've been talking about the last little bit here about, you know, being terrified by, by money and their financial situation or what have you, but that's actually like really embraced it. And over a period of time has, you know, gotten into a much better place or, or, you know, more excited about it or more open about it or, you know, what have you just to kind of maybe inspire somebody out there that's kind of on the fence about whether or not they want to do this. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed that there's been a couple of instances. So there's been two main scenarios. One, people finally hit a wall and they're just, they realize they woke up one day saying, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't feel like I'm ever getting ahead. And then they came to us and then like, they're like, I don't even know what to talk about this right now. And like, I had this, my first time I ever met, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm kind of scared. Like at first, like they're like, I don't, I don't sharing all this stuff with you. I've never done this before. Right. Right. And usually a lot of times what I would say to them is, Hey, I'm not a person. I'm not here to judge people ultimately. However, people run their lives is due to a lot of different circumstances that have happened. I'm here to be the person to help you be able to get out of your own way, find more clarity and direction and help you really start creating those habits and behaviors along the way. So in order for me to help you do that, I need to really understand what you're doing at the moment. And a lot of times when I sit here and I say that to people, like, I'm not here to judge. Uh, and they, they get the sense that I'm not here to judge for them, even my business partner. It, it tends to put down the wall and then we're, it's game on. And then there's been other times where people are with their friends and they're like, yeah, my friend told me I need to come talk to you. I've never done this before. I've avoided this forever. And once we start talking and they realize, again, the same kind of scenario, like we're not here to just sell them products. We're really here trying to help them get them organized, help them get educated more. I, I'm, I'm a big proponent too of like A versus B. So like, let's take what you're currently doing and then measure it up to what option B could be. Which right. path do you want to continue on? You want to keep going on A or B? And they'll be like, well, B. Okay, now we're at B. So we can either go B or we can go mm -hmm. A. And then like you kind of like an optometrist does if you've been to mm -hmm. one before. They're like one or two, two or one. And like you're doing this whole thing where like, I'm just hoping you're giving you options and you're the one that's theoretically driving the ship. I'm just here to help create more awareness for you along the way. So it helps alleviate a lot of that stress people have around finances. And we try to, I will say from a financial standpoint, dumb it down to where it's like, less financial jargon, more, sure. you know, simple human interaction conversation. Yeah. Sure. Well, Tom, as we're getting more towards our hour, um, is there anything that we haven't talked about today or, or asked you today that you want to bring up to our listeners? No, I think, I think this has been great. I, I, I will say, I don't know if there's been any mention in my podcast. I know we've talked about it multiple times on a people. We've talked about it. What, what's the name of it? It's called the Smarter Vet Financial Podcast. We've actually been doing it since April oh, wow. 2020, and we're up to 140 wow, you, episodes. You got us beat. <laughs> uh, we started doing weekly episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So yeah, we've we've been doing it for quite some time, and I, I yeah. will say it's a tremendous resource. We get clients that come to us all the time through our podcast too, because they're just like, hey, one one person we met with recently, they're like, hey, um, I listened to like all your yeah. podcast, I'm ready to get going, and we're just like, oh okay, so you don't want to talk at all? And they're like, no, let's just get started. <laughs> and we're like, all right, all right, let's do it. Wow. So, well, awesome. yeah, it's a good resource for people. Yeah. And, and I listened to a couple episodes just because I wanted to do some research on this. And I was like, I really need to get my butt in gear and do this. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. We will definitely uh, link that in all the notes and, and all that stuff too. Yeah. So for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, thinking about, I kind of said at the outset of this episode, this is a, a little bit different episode for us in that we're not talking to a veterinary technician about veterinary technician life, but, you know, kind of still something that's obviously very important to veterinary technicians and financial wellness and what have you. So I'm curious, we always ask our guests, is there another episode or another person you think we should talk to? Is there something else in this realm or of, of finance for veterinary technicians or anything else you can think of that we should do in a, in a future episode? I know that there likely is. Uh, I would need to take a moment to think about it because yeah, there's a lot no of worries. different connections <laughs> of people that I would think of, but yeah. For sure. Yeah, definitely shoot us an email and, and yeah, let yeah. us know. Yeah, let us know. Yeah. For sure. Cool. All right, Tom. Now it is down to your final question. This is the Vet Tech Cafe Would You Rather question. Are you ready for it? Sure am. Let's do it. All right, you have to pick one, two, or three. Three. I have three questions ready for you. You want three? Oh, this is, this is the one I added today. <laughs> All right. Would you rather have everyone look like Danny DeVito or sound like Gilbert Gottfried? Look like Danny DeVito. Look like Danny DeVito. I, 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 I think if everyone looked like Danny DeVito, I, w- I would feel like in shape and tall. and. <laughs> but then wouldn't yeah. you look like Danny DeVito? Or no? I mean, I'd, yeah, I'd, that's true. That's I'd rather true. not everyone sound obnoxious either. So I think it's like another. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Looking is a lot better than hearing. Yeah, I agree. I, <laughs> I agree. could at least close my eyes. I didn't I think of that, Jeff. I, I didn't think that I would also look like Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Tom, thank you so much for taking some time out to do this. I know you're very busy, man, with everything you've got going on. And we've been trying to do this for a little while. And yeah. I'm glad we finally got this done because um, I think this is going to be a really, really important episode for, for our listeners to hear because um, it's it's an uncomfortable topic. and it's But it's one we really need to start thinking about and be a lot better about thinking about our financial future and financial wellness. So thank you so much for taking the time to do it. We really, really appreciate it. Um, when the book comes out, um, send us info about it. We'd love to, we'd love to share it. Um, we'll put the podcast in the show notes, all of that. There's anything else you want us to include. Definitely do. Otherwise caffeinators. Thank you so much for, uh, for tuning into another episode. We will talk to you guys again soon. Bye everybody. Hello caffeinators. We wanted to thank dog days consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the vet tech cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators. 
We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.